Hello, friends. Welcome to Nexus, a smart buildings technology podcast for smart humans. I'm your host, James Dice. If we haven't met before, I write a weekly newsletter on this same topic. It's also called Nexus. Each week, I share what I've learned, my opinions, and what I'm excited about in the quickly evolving world of intelligent buildings. Readers have called Nexus the best way to stay up to date on the future of this industry without all the marketing fluff. You can check it out and subscribe at nexus.substack.com or click the link in the show notes. Since starting the Nexus newsletter, many of you have reached out to me wanting to talk shop, and we have. After a few weeks of those wonderful conversations, I realized I needed to record and share them with our growing community. So here we are, the Nexus podcast is born. This is our chance to explore and learn with the brightest in our industry together. All right, let's get started. Episode 22 is a conversation with Kyle Took of ThoughtWire. Kyle does a great job of defining what a digital twin is, including the components needs to have, the hierarchy of types of twins, and he even dispels some key myths around twinning itself. He also gives some concrete examples of how digital twins can decrease operational expenses, engage occupants, and even keep hospital patients safe. This episode of the podcast is directly funded by listeners like you who have joined the Nexus Pro membership community. You can find info on how to join and support the podcast at nexus.substack.com. you also find the show notes there, including links to Kyle's LinkedIn page. Oh, and by the way, if you take a look at your feed and you're missing some episodes, that's because those episodes are exclusive to members of Nexus Pro. Sign up for a pro membership to get your personal podcast feed with access to all the episodes. Without further ado, please enjoy Nexus Podcast, episode 22. All right. Hello, Kyle. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Can you introduce yourself for us? Yeah, sure, James. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be able to have this conversation with you today. For those of you who have never met me before, my name is Kyle Tuke. I'm the National Director of Sales for ThoughtWire. I cover uh, all of our U.S. business for corporate and commercial real estate. Uh, I've been with ThoughtWire going on two years now. I've got about seven years experience working in the real estate industry, everything from working with enterprise corporate or enterprise companies, uh, owner operators, third-party managers, real estate investment trusts, helping them both on the back-end financials, investment management, uh, property management and accounting world, all the way to today where I'm working with similar types of organizations focused on their smart building strategies and helping them with their journey down digital transformation. Awesome. Yeah. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because the, the conversations we've had so far, it seems like you're so focused on educating the market. So you might represent ThoughtWire, but like your main goal and from what I've seen from you so far is just education. So thank you for that perspective. There's a lot of people out there that are just like super focused on sales stuff, but I can tell that you're just like, let's move this industry forward. And then hopefully that will drive sales at some point, but let's move this industry forward is the, is the first goal for you. It seems well, like. I absolutely you know, believe in that. It's something that I'm passionate about. And I feel that if I can, if I can be a voice in, in the prop tech world and in the real estate world that can help getting, you know, executives, getting people who are involved in the smart building industry, just thinking a different way, looking towards new types of technology that's going to help accomplish use cases and visions that some of these forward thinking organizations have. They're all trying to figure out one, you know, how do I, how do I get to that vision? You know, what are the things that I need and where do I start? 
and what technologies am I going to be able to bring to the table and help us achieve those goals. But the challenge is, I think, as an industry, we've been stuck in doing the same thing for so long and, and relying upon what's comfortable. Uh, there's a lot of aversion to wanting to be a guinea pig or wanting to look at some of these new technologies until someone else has already done it for them and proven it out. Totally. Yeah, so before we kind of get into my favorite question, which you just started to answer, can you just first introduce ThoughtWire? What is ThoughtWire and what sort of solutions does ThoughtWire solve? Yeah, sure. So ThoughtWire has been around since 2009 and our founders built ThoughtWire for the purposes of solving some very key real-time challenges that were happening in the smart hospital space. Okay. Uh, so if you think about things that are being faced by clinicians in critical care wards and ERs or just in hospital floors in general, you know, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of technologies in those spaces and making sure that patients are happy, patients move to the hospital in a quick and pleasing way. Uh, there's a lot of different things that go on and these are as complex of an environment as you can possibly imagine. And so our founders were really looking and working with these types of healthcare organizations in the Canadian market to solve for those challenges and really look at things and looking at a foundational focus of the data. What can we do to aggregate the data from all of these systems, all of these workflows, all of these complex processes that happen in the healthcare environment and then identify, define, and evaluate the challenges, the bottlenecks, the friction points in these workflows that clinicians face, solve for those, and provide immediate short-term value. And as we've found great success in doing that in the company's history over the last 11 years, we found that taking the success that we were able to achieve from a clinician-facing perspective translated very well in the infrastructure of the technology that we built out to the corporate commercial real estate market. So okay. we started with uh, a real estate partner out of Toronto proper and started and went into our first smart building where they were looking to solve challenges around integrating disparate smart subsystems within that property. And they wanted to build the smartest building in the region. And so we helped them accomplish those goals by integrating approximately, I think, eight subsystems, over 5,000 IoT devices, and bringing together this semantically tagged, normalized data model that they can then enable with decision points and things that they were trying to accomplish, the different use cases that they were trying to move towards. Interesting. So basically, those are the two verticals you're in right now, is, is you're solving the healthcare problem still, but then you've extended the product to then go into office buildings and solve that that market as well. That has been our bread and butter up until this point. Um, there's certainly appetite and conversations that are going on right now where our digital twin is looking to be applied in multifamily space and the industrial logistics and warehousing space, and as well as higher education. Okay. So there's a number of, of verticals that ThoughtWire is getting involved in. And then if you think even globally, more globally is in the smart city space. So yeah. ThoughtWire is a, a founding member of the Innovate Cities Consortium in Ontario that is strictly focused on smart city use cases. Got it. Yeah. And, and we're about to talk about and unpack. There's no reason why the digital twin concept can't be used in all verticals, essentially, the way that you guys are set up. So. 
before we talk about digital twins, we're going to go deep into that topic. But first, I want to ask you my favorite question, which is why are buildings decades behind other technology, like the technology in our pockets, for instance? No, that's a great question. And, you know, it, it can get extremely frustrating, right? Uh, Definitely. So I really look at opportunities or, or projects that I've been hands-on with, and I look at challenges that I see just talking to other people in the prop tech space and, and what their perspective is on this. And I think it really comes down to three key areas. Uh, one is change management, right? That is always something that if you go all the way up to the C-level suite of executives is at the top of their mind is what are the risks? What are the challenges I'm going to run into when I look at implementing a new technology that is going to change the way that we do business? Uh, you look at risk aversion, right? If I'm looking at a new technology versus something that I know works, whether it's the best thing available, uh, but if if I can operate and if I'm a building owner and my NOI is still looking good for my buildings, do I really necessarily need to look at this new technology? And then you also look at personnel skill sets. So uh, speaking specifically around digital twins, digital twin is causing organizations that are adopting this type of technology to look at hybrid skill sets that have experience both in the IT world and looking at technology ecosystem, but also needing a strong engineering background as well. So you need this IT, OT hybrid skill set that really a lot of organizations don't have today. And you know, we don't have a, a hopper of those types of skill sets being brought into the industry. I'm, I'm hoping that changes here very soon and we start providing more of a cross-education on young professionals you know, understanding both the engineering side and the IT side so that we have this new type of professional coming into the real estate organizations that can really drive, understand, and help an organization adopt, leverage, and move forward with digital twin technology. Yeah, totally. I love those three answers. I think on the, the risk aversion side, tell me if you agree with this. I feel like it's now becoming more risky to ignore technology. I mean, if you look at all the ways in which our society is changing right now, to be able to ignore technology, you're basically saying that I don't want to be able to change with society as it's changing. And so do you feel like that is actually, that script on that is actually flipping where it's actually more risky to not adopt some of these newer technologies? Well, just look at what's going on right now, right? So you have the dynamics of COVID, right? Yeah. Just looking at COVID right now, when you look at tenants uh, of these buildings that are having to evaluate their work strategy, right? So not only if you just think about COVID in of itself, you have companies that are in a, a very strange paradox where as an owner of the asset, you don't have revenue coming in from your tenants through the lease arrangements. And so you're in a situation where you're forced to invest in touchless, hands-free technology so that you can encourage employees to start coming back to your buildings in a time where your revenue has had its legs cut out from under it, right? So there's challenges around that. Then you look at the return to work strategy. As I'm talking to different companies, they want to understand, well, now how is my space being utilized? Do I have employees that are actually collaborating with other employees or are they off in their own cubicle or off in their own office? In which case they could just as well do their job from home as they could in my building you know, so do I need to offer them a different type of option of working from home versus being on site, right? So when you think about 
making those types of decisions and having the data that you would need to be able to effectively make intelligent decisions around aspects like that. That's just a couple of examples. You have to invest in technology to enable those things. Then you look at the, you know, even like the emissions mandates, right? For New York, for example, how do I retrofit my building? uh, And I get building scientists come in, evaluate my building, get to this, state, this delta that has been dictated to the building owners in New York that they have to reduce their emissions by X percent by 2030. All right, now how do I get there? You have to invest in technology to get there. So you've got a number of different drivers that are pushing owners, pushing third-party managers, pushing you know enterprise organizations who own and operate their own campuses and properties like all of these types of entities are having to think about these things and move in that direction and prior to covid a lot of the conversations that i was having with companies was all focused about employee experience and everyone was actually looking at densifying their space right well yeah. now we have different dynamics that's going the totally opposite direction the use cases are different now they're more focused around well strategies and healthy building strategies, not necessarily employee experience or the more fluffy aspects of employee experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's much more around safety, health, air quality, those types of aspects. And then, you know, companies are trying to understand, do I continue the densification or now because of social distancing, I actually need to either maintain the same amount of space or I need to actually buy more space. So when you look at Facebook, I think Facebook just bought another new headquarters up in Seattle right? Yeah. Who, and, and Facebook was one of these companies that was out there saying, well, we're going to have all of our employees work from home, but then the next month you turn around and you buy a new headquarters, right? Mm-hmm. So makes you think for sure on what the real strategy is going to be for companies like that. Totally. Yeah. It seems like things are definitely changing and, and technology is a helper rather than a herder. Uh, okay. So let's dive into digital twins. So you talk about digital twins a lot. Uh, I'd say that's maybe your, your main job. <laughs> so yeah. when you talk about to someone who's brand new, they've never heard the concept before, they don't even really know much about technology and buildings. So how do you define it for those type of people? Well, this even goes from people who either claim to know what a digital twin is or, or think they know what a digital twin is. I, I think I, I can loop them all into a, a group together, actually. Okay. Uh, you Because know, you have to think about, there's not one type of digital twin, right? There are digital twins that have specific purposes, specific use cases in mind. You look at, you know, there's companies out there, uh, very large ones that have infrastructure digital twins. You look at ThoughtWire, we are an organizational digital twin. You have other ones that are focused on just physical assets that are what I consider composite digital twins. So you have very specific use cases. That's one way of looking at it. But even within a specific vertical, you have different levels of complexity in digital twins. So if I was to share with someone what ThoughtWire's perspective of digital twin is, I would let them know that you know, a digital twin really for ThoughtWire, for a built environment, which is a space that we really play in, is a dynamic real-time data model that is aggregating data points from physical assets, from dynamic data points, including people and workflows and processes that are all brought into a centralized data store which is semantically tagged and associated, which can then be ingested by other third-party applications, whether it be ThoughtWire's applications for use cases tied to workplace experience for facilities and building operations, 
or perspectives of analytics and prescriptive and predictive analytics for a persona, whatever that may be, but also for other third-party applications that could also find value in having this rich source of context and data on what is happening in a building in real time. But that's looking at an organizational digital twin, which I feel is the highest hierarchy of digital twins. If I take a step back and if you think about the old school perspective of a digital twin, you have what's called a discrete digital twin, which is a very simplistic replication. It is a data model of a single physical asset, right? So a transmission, an engine, an oil derrick, right? The old school industrial version of a digital twin. Then you have composite digital twins. Composite is when you're looking at multiple data sources that are typically around a physical asset that is more complex. So you look at these companies that say they bring together everything IT, OT, IOT, and bring it into a single pane of glass. This is when you get into a composite digital twin. And a lot of times those are those companies are very BIM-focused. They're very 3D visualization-focused. And we'll, we'll get into some more of those nuances here in just a minute. Then you have another type of digital twin that's focused around processes and workflows. Okay. And I'll give you an example of that in a healthcare setting, right? Okay. So if Kyle's an orderly and James is an orderly, and Susie is an orderly, and there's a patient that needs to go from A to B within a hospital, but Mm -hmm. Kyle's tied up with a patient, James is tied up with a patient, and Susie is available. How do we orchestrate and provide transparency of knowledge on which one of us is actually going to move patient from A to B? So if you have a nonlinear rules engine that can then take different scenarios in real time to say, Kyle's busy, right? Let's defer to to James. Well, James is busy. Let's defer to Susie. Susie accepts it. And simultaneously, James and Kyle knows that Susie is going to take care of that patient. All right. So we have multiple different ways that this process can go. And then at the same time, you have another layer of data on top of that of where the assets that Susie needs to be able to transport patient from A to B, right? Where's the wheelchair? Where's the cart? Where is the stretcher? Where is the IV stand, right? All of that contextually has to be brought into a digital twin in a healthcare environment and apply a nonlinear rules engine. And it's sourcing all of the data from the underlying technologies, people, you know, RTLS, uh, RFID, location tracking, all of that stuff gets brought into a digital twin that then provides knowledge, transparency, context, and enables as efficiently as possible somebody, an orderly, to get that patient from A to B. So that's an example of a process digital twin. Okay. And then the next level up then you're saying is organizational? That's when you bring it all together, right? So that's when you get into organizational digital twin. An organizational digital twin, if you think about a real estate organization, let's just say an, an owner of a building, it's bringing in data from the physical asset. So all the IT, OT, IOT that's in one building across an entire portfolio. It's bringing in all the data around people, all the data around third-party data feeds like weather or metrics such as humidity, temperature, um, traffic is another example of that. And then you look at other potential data sources like the financials, the accounting, the asset management data, the lease administration data, the property management data that they would be using in one of those ERP type of solutions. This is all organizational data that can brought into a digital twin to enable a real estate organization to have persona by persona 
throughout their company, all using the same data set, but that data set is exposed to whatever apps they need based on the metrics or the type of information that is pertinent to that individual who is using that data. I see. Okay. So that was a, a long definition, but a brilliant one. So let me try to state it back <laughs> to you and see if I'm on the same page. So if we think about all of these different types of tools out there, components or pieces of them are say digital twins. So you have discrete, which is maybe just like one asset and you have composite, maybe a bunch of assets, a bunch of data points, and then you have processes or workflows. And then on top of that, you have the organizational digital twin, which is kind of bringing it all together in the building, but then it could be even portfolio level data. You're bringing in ERP systems, even data from outside the building, like what Uber and Lyft statuses are you yes. know, in the city outside of the building. So you bring all that together and bring it into one common data model. You have your static data from all of that. So like this air handler is in this room and that patient is in that room, right? Those, so those types of things, you have your dynamic data flowing off of all those things. And then you have some sort of platform for applications, or like you said, tooling that allows you to provide applications to users. And, you know, that's where you get into the personas and the workflows that you're enabling them to do something cool with. Right. So, so at its simplest core, James, I mean, we look at a digital twin as a data model, right? Okay. The 3D visualizations, the nonlinear rules engine, the reasoning engines, that's all part of the services layer, right? That allows you to take the foundation, which is the normalized semantically tagged data, and then the services is what allows you through applications and tooling to achieve the outcomes and use cases that are hopefully well-defined with the client and with their vision of what experiences they want to curate for a building, for a portfolio, or for an example, an entire employee base. All right, and this is where I'm gonna start sprinkling in questions from LinkedIn. So this is the second week I've done this where I've put questions out there for uh -huh. anyone to ask. Yeah, I was right. There's been some good ones, but this one's from Tyson. So Tyson says, what are some of those examples of during the operational phase of a building? Let's just kind of bring this down to earth for all of the O&M teams out there that may or may not be listening to this. What are some examples of like using the twin and using the application that comes off the twin for reducing their operational expenses? Yeah, sure. So uh, great question, Tyson. I'll give you a, a, a good example. So because a technology like ThoughtWire, you know, we're, we're software that goes into a building and we're integrating with everything from the facility management platform, so the CMMS, the BAS, lightings, you name it, right? We're integrating with everything that's IP enabled in that space, but we also have context around people through the use of an application, through engaging with the building through a CMMS or through digital signage or through kiosks, right? This is all data that we have a strategy for. So an example of this is, let's just say all of a sudden facilities is getting an influx of hot cold requests from the 13th floor on the west side of the building. Now, because we may, perhaps we have a, a system like Meridian or Cisco DNA in place and we're using Wi-Fi triangulation or we have beacons that are implemented or we have IoT sensors that are tracking occupancy or we've you know, flagged Apple to come in and map the space and we can ping off of individual smart devices who are using an employee-facing application. A number of different ways that we can get geospatial intelligence around who is where and when. Okay. So if I all of a sudden see a spike in hot cold requests that are coming in from the 13th floor on the west side of that floor plate, 
Mm-hmm. And then I have a visualization tool that then allows me to actually see where people were when they created this ticket through whatever underlying FM system that's in place, whether it be a Carigo or Service Insider or Angus Anywhere. For us, it does not matter. We're agnostic. But I know for every single notification, every single ticket that comes in, where did they originate from? How many people is that individual notification or that ticket impacting? Is it impacting two people or is it impacting 30 people? Is it impacting the C-suite of the executives for my premier tenant? Let's just say it's a Google, right? Is it impacting their C-suite in my building or is it impacting a couple of interns? (laughs) Too bad for the interns, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but if I have that context and I know I have this spike, all right, and I can also see population in real time. So, you know, are there normally 20 people in a space and all of a sudden there's a hundred people in that space that may be causing the system to work harder. And that may be an outlier on the rules that I have in place, or is it legitimately just something's going on with the VAV box in that space. And because I look at the CMMS tickets, I can see, you know, there's a VAV box and I already have a notification coming in about that VAV box and I can associate it with these tickets or these notifications that are coming in through people pinging on the app and submitting a hot code request. Uh, because I have all of that context, I can then leverage a reasoning engine through the digital twin and the services layer that then is able to say, okay, well, this notification is only impacting two people. It's a lower priority, but this notification is impacting 30 people. Well, that needs to take priority. The system will triage on behalf of the facilities team, the thousands of notifications that are coming into them on a regular basis and get the ones that are most high impact, most mission critical and put that to the top of the totem pole and allow them to tackle the things that are most mission critical. So that's taking in context, that's taking in a multitude of integration points across CMMS, HVAC, lighting, BMS, IoT sensors, you know, Wi-Fi triangulation, a lot of different systems that are being orchestrated to understand what's actually going on in that space. And then helping make decision points on behalf of that facilities team. Totally. Yeah, you just named like so many different what I would call siloed technologies. So like you could have a BIS alarm that could uh, uncover that comfort issue. You could have the work order that's in the CMMS. You could have even a fault detection package that provides some sort of alert. And I think what I'm hearing, at least the light bulb that just came on for me when you just described that scenario is the digital twin is bringing all of these previously siloed systems together and it allows you to then prioritize issues much easier but then also if you need to investigate them also investigate them with much richer context and get to a root cause quicker yeah the context is the critical piece when companies are trying to understand well why do i need a digital twin what's the value right mm-hmm. it's about context and it's about reasoning which enables you to make better decisions more timely and that's going to improve experiences for everybody, right? Operations, as well as uh, the employees or the tenants that are in your buildings, right? So if I know that there's something that's high impact and it's impacting a large number of people, if I know that I can address that sooner and focus on that, prioritize it versus other things that are much lower impact. You know, I'll give you another great example. Uh, You know, it's such a great question that Tyson had is, you know, there is a, a particular company in Manhattan that I was talking to, and there were three properties, uh, and I was talking to their facilities team, right? Across these three properties, they average about 27,000 hot cold requests every single year. It takes that facilities team, an engineer or facilities manager, 15 minutes per instance to 
address and close out each of those hot cold requests, right? Okay. Now, if you have a digital twin in those buildings and you have an AI algorithm for comfort controls like what ThoughtWire offers, right? Not only could I, I avoid or mitigate that, ho that hot cold request coming at all, uh, another layer of this is if the, the client in this situation, if they had the appetite to enable an employee to be able to manage or manipulate lighting and thermostat um, through an employee-facing application, we could virtually eliminate these hot call requests altogether in these properties, right? So if you take 27,000 instances at 15 minutes apiece, right? When you do the math, it's about 840 operational days, 840 eight-hour days of work, right? The of engineering time, which is not inexpensive, right? Addressing hot cold requests. What other things could those engineers be doing as of higher value than addressing hot cold requests if I eliminate that entire use case altogether? That, so you would eliminate them through better controls. So you're you're doing supervisory control that's controlling the systems better to it's make, providing, it's contextually providing dynamic set points, James. So, okay. yeah. you know, if I'm looking at historical data on uh, within the building, I'm looking at real-time data, I'm looking at external data from like weather, humidity, things like that. And then I also have schedules mm -hmm. and I'm looking at who's going to be occupying what spaces there because as a, as a software layer that has bi-directional communication and control to the BAS lighting, HVAC, so on and so forth, I can dynamically dictate to those systems and change the, uh, the comfort levels of that space. Everything from lighting all the way to thermostat, you know, I can, I can power all of that and dictate to those systems in real time, create those dynamic set points so that they're optimized for comfort in real time. Totally. Yeah. And I guess the other piece of that eliminating hog and cold calls was, allowing the occupant to change their set points themselves, it sounds like too. Yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can, you can approach that, right? A lot, of, a lot of operational teams will want to avoid releasing that control. But if you, if you enable an employee to manipulate the temperature by two degrees plus or minus, right? And you let the AC or the heating run for five, 10 minutes so they feel the airflow, and then just revert back, almost like a placebo effect, they feel like they've accomplished something and they're no longer thinking they need to submit a hot cold request because they feel like they can do it themselves, right? It's just to avoid that entire scenario of creating a hot cold request, which is hands down the number one request a facilities team gets in a, in a, in a skyscraper. Yeah, got it. All right. Cool. So let's continue on. So one of the things that I've, I see out there when people talk about digital twins is, is we get hung up. We never get to really deep conversations like we've been having so far on actual use cases because people are stuck on these, what I would call myths or just misconceptions around what it even is. So let's try to just maybe quickly hit like three or four of these myths without getting too deep into them. Um, so that we can move on to like the more in-depth stuff. But I feel like a lot of the questions on LinkedIn were kind of related to these myths. So the first one I would say is like, people think a digital twin, and we've already kind of dispelled this so far, but a digital twin is a 3D visualization. So what would you say to that one? I look at, so from, from ThoughtWire's perspective, again, a, a digital twin is a data model, right? The, the visualization of that data, so a 3D or a 2D, uh, elevation view of a building, right? 
that's a tool. That is an outcome, all right? That's taking the data, the underlying data, and putting it into a visual form. So that's part of the services or tooling layer. But the 3D visualization in of itself, I don't think that you can really say that that is a digital twin. But if you do want to call it a digital twin, I would say at its, at its most sophisticated, it's a composite digital twin, right? So you can show IT, OT, IoT, you know, systems that are in that floor plate through this 3D visualization. You can see the, the HVAC, the duct work, the VAV boxes. You can see all of that, right? A lot of it is stuff that you can get from a BIM model, right? Yeah. But unless that 3D visualization offers, you know, real time, it offers context, it offers command and control, I struggle to call it anything more than a composite digital twin. And then, so similarly, um, well, let me pause real quick. So there's another question from LinkedIn on what does that visual tool add for operational teams? Well, I think it provides, uh, from a visual perspective, it lets them know where particular assets are. You know, So as things are being built, there's assets that are behind the wall. If I have a 3D visualization that shows me everything that's on the floor plate, both you know in front of the wall and behind the wall, it allows me to see where those assets are. And then depending upon the company providing this 3D visualization, you know, if they have wayfinding tooling, you can even add, you know, that, that use case of that workflow of if I am a facility manager and I'm not very familiar with the building uh, because I'm usually at another building or I'm responsible for multiple buildings, right? Uh, it allows me to wayfind to where an asset is. Uh, I mean, so I think for the most part, it gives you a different way of looking at the property or looking at the building. And hopefully that 3D visualization has been updated uh, so that you have current information in that 3D visualization. Totally. Yeah. So another one, of the, like a use case of the visualization layer that I heard the other day is like, say a technician is going out to, you know, change out a pump or something. Someone's able to exactly zoom in on the shutoff valve, for instance, and say mm -hmm. the shutoff valve is right here and you turn it counterclockwise or whatever. And just before you go on site, be able to kind of explore the site and get into that level of detail. Okay, so yep. similarly though, so another myth is digital twin is the same thing or digital twin is BIM. So what would you say to that sort of misconception? So there's a lot of companies out there that are trying to take the BIM model and move it into the operation and maintenance you know, right. phase of it right now. I think as we all know, I mean, BIM is an as-built data model it is part of the construction build out and whether a company has actually invested enough into that BIM model, uh, its levels of sophistication and data richness varies. I mean, I think most of us in the industry know that most of the buildings in New York, for example, right, are older buildings that don't even have a BIM model. And if it is, does have a BIM model, it's in a tattered piece of paper that's turning yellow in the basement that's starting to, you know, completely just dissolve. Uh, I've seen a few of those, but, you know, very rarely do you see a BIM model that has the, the data richness to even really be considered uh, a digital twin. And from ThoughtWire's perspective, very few projects that we've worked on has even had a BIM model to start from. I think a BIM model, depending on its level of sophistication, how much data is there, is a nice to have. It can be a starting point. It can be something where we can grandfather in that information and have that as a starting point. But 
you know, we have partners that are part of our technology stack that allows a company to replicate a floor plate. We can bring in a CAD or a Revit drawing and replicate a floor plate, map all of the assets and, and build out the actual digital twin. You don't have to have a BIM at all to accomplish that. So, you know, my perspective, um, you know, BIM is an as-built data model. Digital Twin is a living, breathing, ever-evolving, ever-changing, dynamic data model that constantly has new information coming into it, and it is automatically updating as that new information becomes available. I like that. Okay, so our third myth, third and final myth is if a building is not new, like you said, most buildings are not, and it doesn't have the as-built data model, which is your BIM, I think people kind of write off the whole digital twin concept because they say it's going to be way too expensive to build that out without the existing BIM model already available. I think someone said in our Nexus Pro member gathering in June, I quote, no one is going to build this for an existing building. And yet there are companies that are proposing just that, like ThoughtWire. So what would you guys say to, to someone like that? Uh, there's a number of retrofit projects that we've been part of where there is no BIM model in place, you know, and as far as how expensive it is, ThoughtWire offers a software as a service model, right? So the services part of the engagement that we do, it encompasses all of this build out and it's extremely cost effective. And, you know, I certainly wouldn't say that it's, it's more expensive for existing buildings versus new builds, uh, half the time a digital twin gets slapped on after the fact, after the infrastructure design phase anyway, right now, which mm-hmm. we are, you know, as diligently as possible trying to educate the market that if you're building a new building, digital twin needs to be part of the conversation during the infrastructure design phase. Totally. Uh, we need to be absolutely part of that at the very beginning. Not only can a digital twin help with the commissioning process and recommissioning process, but it immediately translates over into the operational mode of the building. So the cost for ThoughtWire, whether it is a pre-existing building or it's a new build, is no different, right? Our pricing model is, is relative. Whether we're coming into a building who already has a BIM in place or we're coming into one who has one that is completely non-existent. Totally. Yeah, that makes total sense. I feel like that just throws that argument <laughs> out the window. Uh, okay. So let's kind of dive into ThoughtWire specifically. So, I mean, ideally you would be able to show everyone a really cool demo, but you can't do that. So I think I want to like, no, they just need in. to call me if they want one of those. There you go. So we'll, <laughs> let's zoom in on like the, so we talked about data model, static data, live data, but then the platform for applications. So let's zoom in on the platform for applications. So like what, what capabilities do these applications provide these users of the digital twin? Yeah. So if you're, we're talking specifically about corporate and commercial real estate, let's, we'll start with that, that vertical. So ThoughtWire at its foundation for all verticals starts with the data model. So it starts with a digital twin. Again, this normalized repository of data that is semantically tagged to be able to be utilized and ingested by other applications, whether it's ThoughtWire's applications or a third party. Mm-hmm. The applications that we're putting on top of this, which gets into the services layer. So when we talk about commercial and corporate real estate, there's really three interfaces today. Uh, and it's about to be consolidated into two, but we provide an employee facing or a digital workplace platform called AtWork. So with AtWork, this is going to be HTML5 kiosk, as well as native Android and an iOS application that 
encompasses everything from comfort controls from an employee perspective to community and information about the building, information around calendars and scheduling of what's going on, room booking and hot desking, as well as integrating with other third-party applications. But the root of, of really what we're doing on the employee-facing side or the tenant-facing side is curating a common experience for an employee or a tenant base across a global portfolio where infrastructure is different in each and every building. There's no ability for these companies to standardize. But from ThoughtWire's perspective, we don't care who they're using for room booking. We don't care who they're using for facility maintenance or uh, the ticketing system for CMMS. We don't care who they're using for calendars and scheduling. We are doing the hard work and we are putting together a common experience for the employee base. So the user interface in our application that we're providing that is branded for the client enables them to have a skin or a, a user interface that is going to be relative to an employee in New York as well as a different employee in Singapore, even though the underlying systems are different in those very unique environments. So when I talk to an enterprise company, like a large financial institution or a large technology company, you know, one of their key focuses is how do I curate this common experience for my entire employee base? And you know, you need something that is able to provide ecosystem enablement in plug and play interoperability. And a organizational digital twin like ThoughtWire is able to accomplish that. So as we go into these different buildings, the subsystems, the HVAC lighting, the third-party SaaS technologies that are in those buildings, they're going to vary. But as we go into these environments and we do these massive integration projects, we are ingesting all of this disparate data and translating it into a common language that ThoughtWire's systems understand. And then we are able to expose that to allow third parties applications to make use of that to accomplish whatever use cases or experiences they're wanting to achieve. So the app is just one way. And ThoughtWire's difference between on just on the app side than maybe some of the other employee experience apps out there is ThoughtWire very much has a strategy around the data. The use of the application is a key data point that gives me some dynamic insight into James, for example, if you were in you know, one of the major marquee buildings in New York, as you're navigating that building, as you're using that app, that is all key data that is flowing into our digital twin to provide context that help augment and make better decisions on the operational and facility side. You know, I gave you a great example just a little bit on the context that we were able to derive by people creating CMMS tickets for hot cold requests. And we see this spike of hot cold requests at 3 p.m. on the 13th floor. All of that is context and a large chunk of that information is from the use of an application or the use of understanding where people are when they're creating those tickets. Right. So. Okay, so you kind of talked about the occupant-facing app, and then you started to talk a little bit there about the sort of like O&M team-facing app. Is that how I understand it? Yeah, Where so the, the operational side is called Precision Hub, and there's really two components. One is a persona-based dashboard called Digital Twin Insights, and this is what allows us to have prescriptive and predictive analytics around historically disparate data points. So this is where we're able to bring everything into a centralized analysis tool that's going to enable a facility manager to gain additional context, root cause insights, and also push predictive insights to that end user of what's going on in that building. So 
I can proactively notify the facilities team that there's a spike in hot coal requests or there's all of a sudden a spike in energy consumption, right? That may be caused by a fan cooling unit malfunctioning or the fact that, hey, there's going to be a space on the third floor from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. on Friday that is not going to have a single soul in that space. Would you like to create a micro load shed event for that specific space to optimize it for efficiency? Or would you like ThoughtWire to proactively do it for you without having any human intervention and do it dynamically? Right. Okay. And then being able to track that throughout a year and report back to say, hey, by utilizing the insights through ThoughtWire, I have been able to achieve XYZ ROI and energy consumption savings through these micro load shed events. And that's just one example, right? Right. Right. And you're able to do that because you have the occupancy schedule data that came from sort of the other side, the other app, and it's all, you know, one data model, one sort of data platform. Uh, that's, that's fascinating. Okay. And then other things that you're able to do with that, James, uh, you know, you have complex workflow orchestration. So because we're integrated with all of the systems in the building, being able to schedule things like you know, load shed events is one of them. Extended hours is a very common one that can be programmed at the digital twin level. Scheduling things like hard lockdowns, soft lockdowns, emergency situations like fire protocols and active shooter protocols. You know, those can be very complex events that touch a lot of different systems and require a lot of notifications to go out to things like first responders, the entire employee base that's in that building, to security. There's a lot of different steps in there. But if we can create that metaphorical easy button and allow the authorized user to be able to execute that protocol. Now, instead of taking 15, 20, 30 minutes to execute this protocol, we can do it instantly. Okay, cool. All right. So we got about 15 minutes left. Let's dive into the kind of removing the confusion, I guess, around how people can buy platforms like this, how people can buy technology, how people can specify, you know, different capabilities they want and, and get to the outcomes that we're describing here. And, and one of the ones that I've seen, and, and you and I have talked about this in the past, is that people aren't out there saying, give me an organizational digital twin with these capabilities. <laughs> people are saying, I want an IoT platform. I want an integrated workplace management system. I want a building operating system. I want an energy management system. And they all kind of have overlapping definitions, overlapping capabilities. So how do you wade through that murkiness yeah. Uh, yeah, when, you're, so, when you're talking to your customers? You know, ThoughtWire has been awarded a number of relationships or, or contracts. You know, we've been called an IoT platform. We've been called a building operating system. We've been called a master services integration platform. Whatever semantical acronym they want to use, right? You got to speak the client's language and you know, where I'm constantly trying to provide education to market. And when you look at the use cases, the KPIs that are part of these RFPs that come out, they're all asking for an organizational digital twin, but that's just not the term that is global yet. Right. There is no standardization around that. So I see the BOS, I, I mean, building operating system. I see the IBMS intelligent building management system. It's all the same stuff, right? And, you know, it's working with, large forward thinking companies on providing that education. It's, it's working with the AEC firms. It's working with the MSIs. It's working with the MEP firms who are helping build out these RFPs and, and 
providing guidance for these enterprise companies or these owners of real estate that are looking to go down this this path of a, of a digital twin or just their digital transformation journey. It's, it's been spending a lot of time working with these consultants and providing them the education, helping them understand what are the use cases for a digital twin? What are the things that you can accomplish? That way we can start expanding the vision of what a lot of these companies are looking to achieve and get them to think about things that maybe they didn't even know was possible because they've been so used to being stuck with this enterprise BAS platform. They've been trying to feed everything into that, which has its own challenges in of its own. It's creating vendor lock. The more and more they put everything at the BAS level versus looking at a higher hierarchy, next gen type of platform, like a digital twin. Yeah. So you hit on the, the lock-in there. So how do you help these consultants sort of specify a digital twin or one of these other acronyms that is open versus closed and, and locked down? How do you, how do you think about that? Well, it really comes down to if you think about starting with the client, right? You start with, you know, who is the client? If we're talking about an enterprise company, their client is the employee. If you think about an owner operator, their clients are the tenants and, and the leadership of, of those tenants. And you look at who's the customer and work out what use cases are you trying to accomplish to improve the experiences of the day in the life of that customer, whether it's an employee, a tenant, an operations professional. And once you start working back into what integrations have to occur and what raw data points need to be exposed and aggregated to bring into something like a digital twin, it naturally creates the need for you to have an open ecosystem. Otherwise, a lot of these use cases that get defined in these RFPs, you can't even accomplish them. And they end up just getting cut out of the entire vision altogether. Because if you're going to stick with one of the companies out there that has market share that are trying to control everything and trying to have everything in their system, you may not even have that system over in the UK or in Greece or in Singapore. You may have a totally different building automation system in those buildings. But if, if you don't have the interoperability and the data portability and the ability to curate that common experience for an operator or for an employee or a facility manager, I'm sorry, not operator, facility manager in those two assets. Are you really accomplishing the goal that you set out from in day one? I think this is one of the biggest drivers for opening things up in our industry is that requirements, like we talked about at the beginning, you know, building city energy ordinances, COVID, like the requirements of a building are increasing. And if the closed systems or the walled gardens, as Andrew called it last week on the podcast, if, if those can't keep up, then people are going to have to open their systems up to the, the platforms that can. And the ones that can are the ones that bring in like the all-star game approach to bring in everyone, you know, to the table into the solution. So that's cool. Okay. So you mentioned consultants and, and you and I have talked about this in the past. I just want to like hit this at the end here of this sort of the section of the conversation, but how are you thinking about the people that get it as we've kind of laid out this vision versus the people that don't get it? Because what I've seen is like there are RFPs in this space and I would say this space, but also building analytics as well. I've seen a lot of RFPs on the building analytics side and you can tell the person writing the RFP just like, yeah, it didn't really understand what they were specifying here. And that happens on the building automation system side as well. Everyone talks about how the copy and paste problem with these specs. How do you think about helping the consultants kind of move them along on their understanding of this technology? And, and sort of what would you say to all of them out there listening to this? 
Well, so ThoughtWire, I mean, me personally, right? Myself and my head of product and data, the two of us have invested an enormous amount of time with a lot of the consulting firms who want to be thought leaders in this space, who want to start driving the industry in that direction instead of relying upon the more traditional methods of smart building technology, leaning on enterprise BAS platforms, right? So I've had some specific consulting firms who have proactively reached out to us, have developed a relationship with me, and we have helped them tremendously in understanding what are the use cases, what are the requirements, and helping them build out their, you know, uh, their specs, to help them build out those RFPs, right? We want to help them be successful. Anyone that we are engaged with, we want to make them heroes. And if we can provide them the insight and guidance to help them make their client happy, we want to do that. And so I would say for any of the consulting firms who have not engaged with ThoughtWire and has not had a a personal conversation with me or any of my colleagues within our organization, I welcome that discussion. You know, let us help you. Let us provide some education around, you know, organizational digital twins. So the next time that you have one of these large financial companies or technology companies or whomever approach you to say, hey, I want to create this ecosystem. I have all these cool next generation use cases tied to COVID and return to work and and they want to enable all of those use cases. You got to partner with someone like us to achieve those goals. The enterprise guys, they're not going to get you there. All right. And, and from the building owner's perspective, so how do they think about, number one, buying this? And, and what I just heard from you was you can't just engage your traditional engineering consultants on this. You're probably going to want some sort of technology partner that can educate the entire team, basically. But also, I think a, a lot of the building owners need to also be thinking about how to keep this twin updated and maintained throughout the life of the building. So how do you educate them as well? So for the building owners, the conversations around digital twin up until this time, not quite gone as well as it has with like some of the enterprise corporates that have some of these hybrid IT, OT professionals on their staff who understand digital twin. I see. Uh, And again, this goes back to confusing digital twin with a BIM. So, you know, you Mm -hmm. always want to, if you have a BIM model, you want to keep it up to date. You got to go back, you got to reinvest in it. You have to continuously have it updated. Well, it's no different for a digital twin. And, you know, when I see RFPs, there's a lot of asks around integration back to the BIM, which is all well and good. And there's companies that are moving towards that direction and getting there. Uh, One of our partners that we utilize for mapping and wayfinding has that on their roadmap to have that accomplished as well. But, you know, our partner, we provide our own content management platform that allows a end user and administrator of the platform to be able to dynamically update and keep the floor plates updated, keep the assets that are mapped onto that floor plate updated within our system. So again, it goes back, you don't have to have a BIM. You can do everything within ThoughtWire's you know, technology stack that you would need to around that. But today, you know, it has to be updated somewhere. So whether that's being updated in a BIM and then that's being updated into the digital twin, whoever the provider of that digital twin is, or in ThoughtWire's case, it's being updated in that content management platform that is in the backend tooling of our solution. I see. Okay. So it's one or the other. Um, it's got to be updated somewhere, right? Yeah, totally. All right, cool. So as we kind of close things out, I want to combine two questions into one, which is, what are you seeing in terms of the, the impact COVID is having on our industry right now? And then in the same vein, I guess, like kind of what are you excited about with our industry and, and moving forward? 
Well, yeah. COVID's uh, created a lot of challenges. And when I look at challenges, challenges usually breed opportunity. So I look at the silver lining of it. Now, has it impacted a lot of the conversations I was having prior to COVID? Oh, absolutely. But I would say I am busier now and ThoughtWire as a whole is busier now than we ever were pre-COVID because what it has created is a sense of urgency, a whole new set of use cases that uh, are top priority now, whether you're an owner or a third-party manager or an enterprise company who's trying to get your employees back in the office. So the, the need for data has become even more paramount. And I think it's really shined a light on that, regardless of who you are in the industry, the need for data and having context and really understanding how the buildings are being utilized, who is in those buildings, who are they collaborating with, and who actually needs to be there versus who can work from home. Then also, as I bring people back into these offices, how do I make sure that they know that they're safe? How do I ensure that the air quality is where it needs to be? How do I ensure people are respecting the social distancing parameters to prevent spread? How do I make sure that the air is within a certain temperature range, within a certain humidity range to make sure that the transmission of COVID is kept under control based on guidelines from the WHO and CDC? There's so many new use cases, so many new conversations that were secondary prior to COVID that are now at the top of their list. And the fortunate thing for ThoughtWire being a digital twin provider is that data richness and that context is our bread and butter. That is what we do. So enabling those use cases, enabling those technologies and providing that context and that transparency for an organization trying to make those very difficult decisions, a digital twin is an ideal solution to answer for that. Totally. Well, thanks so much for, for coming on the show. There's so much more I think I want to talk to you about. So Let's do it we'll again. To, we'll have to do it again sometime. Uh, and thanks for fitting us into your, your busy schedule. And thanks for doing what you do. Hey, I appreciate it, James. Thank you for doing what you do and in, in, in your platform on educating the market. So I really relish the opportunity to speak with you and, and share my thoughts. So I look forward to doing this again with you next time. Cool. Talk soon. All right. Thank you. All right, friends, thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, please subscribe at nexus.substack.com. You can find show notes for this conversation there as well. As always, please reach out on LinkedIn with any thoughts on this episode. I'd love to hear from you. Have a great day.